We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, let's let's try to get back to some questions here. I want to f- find some good ones. We're gonna have to not be able. This is a really good one that I saw, Sean, that I wanted to to address. Knowing now that Harry Heastan, I'm assuming that's Harry Heastan, would only coach yes. one season. Would you have preferred that Harry Heastan not come back for the one season and be in year three of Rudolph? Heck no. No, no. Uh, I understand the sentiment behind the question, mm-hmm. but one year of Harry Heastan is way better than no years of Harry Heastan. Because what happened was Coach Heastan laid a foundation that Joe Rudolph gets to build upon. And it's kind of one of those things where it's like, would you have wanted to be the guy to do that? Maybe. But would he have been able to do it the way that Harry did? I don't know, and I don't think so. Because I think Harry Heastan's to me is, is the best, if not one of the, you know, one of the best, if not the best to do it. Yeah. I would much, I would gladly take one. Because here's the thing. One year of Harry Heastan resulted in you getting Charles Jagasaw and Sullivan Absher and Sam Pendleton and Joe Wadding and Christopher Tarek. That's a pretty good foundation, right? Now it's about building on it. So I would have still taken the one year of Harry Heastan over no years. And that that's not even a remotely a shot at Joe Rudolph. I just think that's the best thing for him. And, and I think Joe Rudolph needed a kind of a start over moment. And I think he got that at Virginia Tech because he was an offensive coordinator at Wisconsin. And I just think he kind of had that. Kind of out of. Yeah. Wasn't his. Yeah. His strength, really, like yeah. And he and might I, have aspirations in the future, to, but that's it goes back. You have to learn, yeah. like you have to go through tough times and evolve as a coach. And maybe he'll evolve and be ready if he gets another opportunity to do that right. elsewhere. You know it. And maybe Coach Rudolph was thinking to himself, "Hey, I would have much rather had a third year." But then you're like, "But let's see which how you'd have felt if you'd actually had to coach those kids that were coming off of the Jeff Quinn era." Yeah. 
Man. You know, now you think, thanks, Coach Eastan, for taking that bullet for me <laughs> right. and laying a great foundation that I can now build upon. That that would be that would be my my guess is yeah. And I think he re coming off of that. That's a perfect point, bro, because that's cultural, right? Because I know what the culture was before Jeff Quinn, but coming off Jeff Quinn, it's like, okay, what has been fractured here? What's going on? And you get Harry to come back and kind of restore what was there and make things foundational. It was, you can't, I don't even know if you can truly measure the value of that until the class you just talked about leaves. Mm-hmm. Like his value is still here as long as those guys are developing. So, you know, it might be another three, four years before we can really right. speak about what his value is, you know, the Dame and what he brought when he returned. So, yep. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Here's another one from uh, Notre Dame Milton fan, Sean, that I, I think is a good one here. What was the Speaking most dominant O line you've ever seen at Notre Dame? Oops, sorry. Most dominant? I mean, okay. I mean, there's a couple uh, different ways to, def- to define that, Sean. I would say the most mm-hmm. physically dominant was the 2017 mm-hmm. offensive line. Absolutely. The most, I would say that. Yeah. The most dominant from a result standpoint, week after week, including big games, was 93. 93. Now I would say 90 to 90. Dude, this I'm sorry. That that line is it was so Joe Moore. Yes. And that line in that era, what they did, they didn't care. Yeah. They didn't care that you knew they were gonna run the ball 60, 65% of the time. They, they still gonna put up 300 on the ground. Like if you if you want to enjoy matter. if you want to enjoy old school football, I'll tell you right now, go to YouTube. And and bring up the whole game of 1993 Ohio of Florida State Notre Dame, mm-hmm. and because that Florida, I mean, you just look at the NFL Loaded. players. I mean, the legends that Florida State had on the Derek Brooks and all these, and Notre Dame just didn't they have was a Derek Ale- oh, so one of the Derek Alexander. Alexander he on that D line. I mean, they had yeah. some dudes. 
Great and secondary. No, yes, and Notre Dame just physically dominated them the entire game. And it wasn't just physical that made it so special. It was the fact that they were so fundamentally sound and just the way they were able to open up holes, the timing. It's I mean, they were just a masterful symphony. And so that was probably the most – the best offensive line I've ever seen. I would probably say 93. Mm-hmm. The most dominant to me was the 2017 group. I mean, they were just – I mean, they just physically were just destructive. Best I've seen in college football, Sean, I'd probably have to go back and and watch more film, but those 94-95 Nebraska offensive lines were insane. Yeah. Like they were really, really insane. <laughs> yeah, they were illegal, but they were insane. <laughs> illegal, meaning steroids and stuff? or Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll just say this. A lot of teams they were playing were doing the same thing. True. It's you know True. what I mean? Like I always that was just know, the era. Yeah, yeah, yes. that was the era. Yeah. Oh, well, pitchers were better then because they were able to take this. I'm like, and players weren't, you know what I mean? Like, you know, oh player, there was more home run balls because hitters were on steroids. I'm like, and pitchers weren't, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, you know, greatness is still greatness, right? I mean, I've said this before. I mean, the only guy that I think became a Hall of Famer because of steroids that I production-wise is probably Sammy Sosa. I don't think without steroids, I don't think Sammy Sosa becomes a Hall of Fame pro- producer, numbers-wise. You know, Mark McGuire would have been a Hall of Famer if his body would have been able to hold up. The reason he mm-hmm. took steroids was because his body couldn't hold up. That that that's, that was, I mean, that that's kind of a known thing. Barry Bonds was a Hall of Fame player. If Barry Bonds would have retired, after his last year in Pittsburgh, I think he's probably a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer, yeah. You know, it, so so you, you didn't get guys that were mediocre players that became Hall of Famers because of steroids, with maybe maybe Sammy being the exception. Because mm-hmm. I, I thought he was a good player before that stuff, but I don't think he was a, you know, 60-some homer guy without yeah. that stuff, in my opinion. I could be wrong, yeah. but that's always been my take. But, yeah, I mean, so, like, those Nebraska guys, yeah, they were – I mean, we've heard the stories – but like they weren't the only team in college football doing that. Nah, you're probably right. You know, Oklahoma was doing some of that. I mean, you know, that stuff was just around, in my opinion. Brian, what are the reasons you would hold off on Notre Dame taking Anthony Saka? P.S. I heard you say them on previous shows and forgot. Well, it's not so much that I would hold off on taking them right now. It's just that I wouldn't push for him right now. And and really, what it comes down to, I just didn't love the junior film. And Sean, you and I have talked about this. I, he just he wasn't as explosive for me. Mm-hmm. He wasn't quite as rangy, and I think he's going to end up being okay. I think he just he put on some weight, and he went from playing safety to linebacker. And I just don't. I think the transition year was a, was rougher for him than than I think other people think it was. And when I watch his film, and then I watch Marco Jones, and I watch Noah McHale, and Nathaniel Wusu Botang, and Christian Jones, and guys like that, I'm like, he just. I loved him in the previous year because I saw him as kind of a rover that would eventually grow into a will. The problem is he grew into a will in one off season. Mm-hmm. Now my thought process is that I I believe that you know a year at that weight at his age, you know, he could get back to being that explosive athlete that he was. I just wasn't blown away by it. And when you consider what else is on the board, that's the biggest issue. That's really what it comes down to. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, the options left on the board. <laughs> I mean, if I'm ranking, and I'm only taking three, maybe four. I don't even know if he's in that top four. Right. You know, and you already have Josiah in the class. So the the linebacker core 
it's probably the position or the linebacker position in the, in the 25 class is the position that I'm willing to stay in the fight maybe a little longer Yeah, than some other positions. Now, for me, Sean, if Anthony Sacco wanted to call me tomorrow and commit, I'd probably still take it. Yeah. So, so it's just I'm not pushing for him to commit tomorrow. That's where I'm at. So, because I just, and, and part of it, I just want to see him move around more. I'd like to see him if he's running track, if he's playing basketball. Like, that's something I would do. If he was playing basketball, I'd, I'd, that'd be at three of his games. Let me see how he's moving. He's now had a little bit more time. Moving. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here's a, here's a good one. Most dominant linebacker combo in Notre Dame in the last 20 years. That's 03 to 23, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Off the top of my head, I'm going 18. Off the top of my head. Tavon and Drew? Yeah. But I'm trying to think. Because, like, Manti never had that sidekick. And it was that, that you know, it, Courtney Watson. Who was Courtney? Who was next to Courtney who Watson? Who was supposed to be his sidekick that got hurt? Who for? Uh, was that Jared Gray? Jarrett Grace, yes. Well, Jarrett signed in 2011 or tw- uh, 2011 with Notre Dame, so he would have been redshirt freshman in 2012. Mm-hmm. But his thing would have been more – he would have been with Jalen. Right. Jarrett would have been more of a sidekick for Jalen, not Manti. Yeah. Because you'd have thought, you know, Jarrett probably steps into the starting lineup in 13, which was Jalen's freshman year, and then 14 and 15, Jarrett and Jalen would have been playing inside together. Yeah. That would if he didn't get hurt because you you've said this I know I've heard from pl- other I've heard it from players players. yeah before his and he had a bad leg injury but before that leg injury man there was a lot of people like this Jared Grace kid is going to be good man I loved his high school film and he just and he looked good as a freshman I mean and I, uh was a redshirt freshman um before his because be, he played a little bit before that that knee injury yeah I shouldn't even call it a knee injury it was like a leg injury he's like he tore and broke bunches of stuff. And I, God, I got so sick of hearing the word foot fire from Brian Kelly for three freaking years regarding Jarrett Grace. They just could never get that athleticism back. That was a bad thing. But man, if he would not have gotten hurt, he's one of my what ifs. I'd have loved to watch that 2015 team with a fifth year senior Jarrett Grace and junior Jalen Smith side by side. That would have been fun to watch. I actually like, dude, Tyrone Willingham has good, I think it was like a trio. Was that like the Goolsby? Yeah, yeah, Goolsby and Courtney Watson. Courtney Watson, right? and it was one more. They kind of like. I'm looking it up here real quick, Sean. 2000. I'm looking for 2012 stats because I, because I, Goul, I don't know that Goolsby was. Like, I'm trying to remember like when. Goolsby might have been the youngster. Yeah, I don't know, but I don't know if like Goolsby and Courtney Watson. Like when did Courtney Watson? Did he leave after 2012? Because I I don't think I don't think Goolsby started. No, no, wait, wait, wait. Twenty. Yeah, Courtney Watson was. I'm sorry, two thousand two. This two thousand two. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see here, Notre Dame. Because I don't I don't think Goolsby stepped in the starting lineup till third till oh three. I keep saying thirteen oh three. Yeah. No, Courtney played in oh three as well. So let me see if I can find some college stats here. Notre Who Dame. Was the other? It was a te- Texas kid, right? You talking about Derek Curry? Yes, DC. Yeah. Yes. He was a solid linebacker, solid. but he wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't like to me a great linebacker. He was solid. I'm just production wise, they just stuck out to me as like yeah. it's the way that defense played. It was like okay. I do remember being super excited for the, when like Jimmy Friday was coming along, like late mm. Blue Holtz. Like I thought that was going to be like a really good group. He was a good player. 
but he wasn't like what I thought he was going to be coming out as a young player. Yeah, I'm trying to. I, I still think the Tavon Drew duo was really flipping good. And you, yeah. if you really want to get, I mean, the 17 group with Drew at Rover and Niles and Greer and Tavon inside was yeah. really good and super productive. That actually might be my. If we're going to talk about the 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 run the linebacker unit as a whole, because when I think dominant linebacker combo, I think one two. That's why I went with that. But if you're going to like talk the whole room, that that three man rotation in 17 at inside linebacker is pretty flipping good. Go ask Georgia how good that inside linebacker group was, how good that linebacker core was in 2017 for Notre Dame. That was a really good linebacking core, really good linebacking core. I have to think because Charlie, I mean Charlie didn't have. Well, the 05 linebacking core was actually not bad. You had you had Maurice Crum, Corey Mays, and Brandon Hoyt. Hmm. That was a pretty good linebacking core as well. And then yeah. remember Hoyt and Crum or Hoyt and uh Corey left the next they weren't on the 06 team and they had to move Travis Thomas over to linebacker. Right. But that 05 group of of Brandon Hoyt, not Brandon Hoyt, was Brandon Hoyt on the team? Corey Mays was on it. Yes, Corey, Corey and Brandon were both on that 05 team, correct? And then you also had um, yeah. you also had Maurice Crum. Yeah. That was a pretty good linebacker core in 05. Yeah, Travis moving from running back to linebacker. Yeah. But that came in 06 after yeah. they lost all those guys and they didn't have – and that's when the Thai recruiting classes started to really mm-hmm. – started to see some of those warts that really looked bad in 20, 2017. No, I the 23 linebackers would not be in consideration. No, for this they were good. They were good, but we're talking about like, yes, no. Yeah. They, they did their job effectively. Yeah. They wouldn't be in this conversation. Yeah. Is there a good ar- argument that next year the Big Ten will replace the SEC as the most dominant conference? Not now. Here, here's why. Like, Andy Milton fan, if you were going to talk about just for the 24 season, if Kalen DeBoer doesn't leave and Chip Kelly doesn't leave their two schools, then I think you would have had a case for just in 2024 that being true. Like if somebody else would have replaced Saban, because I think you'd have Michigan, Ohio State, and 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 uh, Penn State would still be very good. Mm-hmm. You have a sending pro. Like, like I'm not a huge Luke Fickle fan, but they'll be better the fur- longer he goes along. They'll, they'll be a good football team. Iowa's Iowa. You know, you've got some young ascending coaches and or some, you know, Bielema, what he's building in Illinois, things like that. But you would have added Kalen DeBoer's Washington, Chip Kelly's UCLA, Lincoln Riley's USC, and Dan Lanning's Oregon to that for 2024. That would have been fun to watch because all those kids that left Washington would have probably stayed. Mm-hmm. And Washington would have been, you know, had a chance to still be a top 20 team next year. Not a playoff or title contender, but a, a good football team. And and so that really hurt that, that yeah. to me. Now you're going to still have Oregon's going to be very good and Ohio State's going to be very good and Penn State's going to be pretty good and Michigan I still think is going to be good but UCLA's not going to be that good. I don't know what USC's going to be. Washington's not going to be nearly as good in my opinion. But you look at the SEC, Bama's still going to be good. Georgia's going to be a title contender. Uh Tennessee's going to be pretty good next year in my opinion. Texas they Oklahoma were coming this in. year. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I, LSU is going to be pretty good. Texas A&M got a better coach. A&M is going to be a better coach. Ole Miss is going to be a really good football team, I think, this year. Auburn's going to be better in year two of Hugh Freeze. 
And you're now adding like I was trying to get to those teams before you even add Texas and Oklahoma, Sean. Right. right? Like, right. So to me, you could make a case that next year the SEC is going to be better than the Big Ten because of all the coaching losses that they had in, the, in those new schools before you even talk about Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah. But now you had because Ole Miss had a great offseason in the portal. Now, let's see if Lincoln, if, if Lane Kiffin's capable of bringing it all together. That's a question mark. He's always been a very inconsistent coach. I mean, they're good one year, bad, good, bad. You know, that's kind of been his MO. Can he build two years in a row? Mm-hmm. And so Missouri, forgot to even talk about Missouri. They got a lot coming back. They had a good offseason from a portal standpoint. So there's a the SEC is going to be really deep next year. And then you add the two teams we talk about. I don't think it's going to be close. A month ago, Indy Milton fan, I'd have said, yeah, we could have that conversation. But now I don't think you can because of all the losses that those that those teams went through that are coming mm-hmm. in, in my view. Sean, you agree, disagree with that? That's spot on. Man, all these changes recently, man, maybe December, looking forward. Oh, yeah. I would have agreed, especially with the new TV deal, with the Big Ten now being on CBS Network, CBS, you know, Sports Network, along with the SEC and some other changes. They're definitely doing a great job promoting and marketing the Big Ten, without question. The Big Ten is everywhere. Like, every Big Ten game is close to being on national TV outside of the Big Ten Network. Like, they'll still have two games in Big Ten Network, but they're CBS, ESPN, NBC. It's They're doing a great job, and they're earning that TV money. <laughs> Definitely earning that TV money. But, no, the SEC is just this year. They're lucky Nick Saban left. Well, it, it might be too, Sean, is I, I thought in 2023 the SEC was down. As yeah, a they were. They right? were. But a lot of that was because of how much they lost from the previous two seasons. But now you've got these teams that are kind of ascending, and I don't think it's going to be close in 2024. Yeah. I mean, if the if the SEC gets four or five playoff teams next year, I won't be shocked. Yeah. I won't. I mean, I'd, I'd probably say I don't think they should. You finish fifth in the conference, you shouldn't be in a playoff. I don't care how mm-hmm. good the conference is, but it won't shock me. You get like one Big 12 rep, you know, two ACC reps, Notre Dame, you know, and then all the rest are Big Ten and ACC kind of thing. You know what I mean? Or yeah. however they end up breaking the league, you know, if it's four or five or, you know, then you have one, the one group of five team or whatever. Right. But yeah, I could see a lot of it being SEC teams next year. It, but what could also make it interesting is because it's so good, you could also see them eating themselves up, you know, kind of devouring their own, you know what I mean? Eating their own. And now you've got a bunch of three, four lost teams that, you know, if they were in the big 12 would, would win the league. Cause now like Georgia and Alabama actually play each other in the regular season. Like that hasn't happened, but with the additions and the super conference, now you're going to get those type of cannibal like matchups. You have to, you can't avoid them. Yeah. You can't avoid them. How do you think 2023 goes if Buckner stays healthy in 2022? Fun prediction. I know it's hard to project. I I think they would have been better than nine and three. Because here's the thing. If he would have stayed healthy in 2022, you're not bringing in Sam Hartman, most likely. I think Tyler would have continued to develop as a player. And all the things that we've said have hurt him, which was the lack of development, would have kind of been answered because he would have had that whole season under his belt. I mean, because, look, I know he didn't play well in the first two games. 
Actually, I don't think he played that bad against Ohio State. I think the line played bad in against Ohio State. I think that hurt more than Tyler. I think Tyler had some big mistakes against Missouri and some big misses. You know, the turnovers, missing Braylon Marshall. Yeah, Marshall, yes. You missed Braden Lindsay on the post route late. Yeah, he made some mistakes in that game. But he also showed against South Carolina that he can put a team on his shoulders and say, we got this. And I think as he got more and more starts under his belt, like I could have seen a scenario where they like lost to North Carolina with Tyler or BYU, but then didn't lose to Stanford or USC. Right. As Tyler got, you know what I mean? Like, and, and maybe they don't lose to any of them. I think they would have been better in 2023 because Tyler doing what he does would have helped you to overcome the issues you had with the receiving core from an injury standpoint, far greater than how Sam Hartman was able to, because you would have had that dynamic of Audric and Tyler's runners with the other running backs and the tight ends where you could have overcome some of that stuff. And, uh, you know, for all the people that love to hate on Tyler, I just like go back and watch the bowl game yeah. because you see the good and the bad of Tyler. You see the bad is the, the turnovers. Although I would still argue the second pick six was more on a bad play call, play call. <laughs> than it was on Tyler. You're running it down their throat. Just run the ball. Yeah. First yeah. goal, run the ball. I get why they did it. I just didn't like that call. I mean, Tyler had some dominant moments in that game, folks. You know, I mean, he really did. And but you 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 have to think he would have learned from some of the mistakes. But those are mistakes he would have made earlier in September and October and November. And so you you saw what he could be. I, I the, think the question is also: Would he have been able to stay healthy in twenty twenty three? Also, facts. And that's that's the big question. I think Tyler suffered from transition and not having a culture tyler buckner would have been a better quarterback if he stepped into a preset culture this is who we are this is what we do this is how we're going to develop you in that culture even though tommy reese was there it was two totally it just became two totally different cultures he got caught in transition you know they were about to hand him the keys he gets hurt against Virginia Tech. Jack Cone comes back in, kind of reclaims the spot. Now you're coming into next year. You're projecting. Then you go back. If he doesn't get hurt against Virginia Tech and finds a way somehow, some way to win that game and then develops and goes through some of the bumps and bruises he had to go through the, the following year, mm-hmm. what do you get the following year? Right. When he comes back, because he's been through those bumps and bruises and he's healthy now. So it's – it's a lot of ifs, man. It's a lot. He's not a kid that he's not a quarterback that you come in and say, yo, he, man, just he can play no matter what the system. No, he's not that type of kid. No. You have to have the right system, the right coaching for him to be successful. I, I'm not here to debate whether or not he got that, but I'm just saying the culture he needed when he got to Notre Dame probably wasn't conducive to him realizing. Yeah. Well, and and maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. That's the whole point is we don't know. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, like I thought Tommy did a great job in 2021 of when Tyler was in the game playing to what he does well. Mm-hmm. I thought he did a great job of that. I mean, you've talked about this, Sean, how how much we love the game plan that, that he had against South Carolina. There's a couple calls here and there. But overall, I mean, there's a difference between you love every play call and overall the guy called a heck of a game and had they had a good game plan. 
And you talked about how they recreated that, recreated that game plan and a couple of big wins for Alabama this past year. The, the question is, is to your point, or the, I mean, you, you made a great point with Tyler, you had to play him in a certain system. Mm-hmm. And would, would Tommy have been able to do that for an entire season? We knew he did it for the bowl game, but would he have been able to do that for an entire season in, in 2022? I, I think so because of how they did have to play in 2022. Would Jared Parker have known how to use Tommy in 2023? I don't know. We never saw him coach an offense that had a kid like that. I will say this. I do think that Jared Parker would have been more – I mean, it's just as simple as this. Tyler did pretty well in the spring with Jared Parker running that offense. He just – what it came down to was because of the the uncertainty of can he be healthy, you went and got Sam Hartman. If you don't get Sam Hartman, there's no debate who the quarterback is in 2023. And Tyler wouldn't have had to go prove himself in the bowl in the in the spring game. We'd have, we'd have looked at the spring game and been like, so what? He was great. It's like the spring game to me is like Brian's talking about it's the senior bowl. The senior bowl doesn't matter. It's the practices leading up to the senior bowl that matter. That's how that's and I was thinking about this. That's a great analogy for spring. I don't care about the spring game. Don't care what it's fun. It's nice to see it. But ultimately, if you had 14 great practices but play bad in the spring game, I don't care. If you had 14 mediocre practices, but you go out and win the MVP in the spring game, I don't care. I want to see both. And Tyler was very good in the spring. Not not good enough to beat out Sam. But the whole point is, if you did have him all of 2022, you wouldn't have brought in Sam. No. Or Sam wouldn't have come. He's like, I'm not competing against that kid. I don't I don't run that offense. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, I think Tyler would have done well. But again, Sean goes back to it. We don't know that he would have been healthy all year. No. And that's why he's now playing lacrosse at Notre Dame, not playing football, because he couldn't develop that way because he couldn't stay healthy. Yeah. And I think he got a raw deal at Alabama, but you made the choice to go there. You, we said all along that was a bad choice. I mean, that, mm-hmm. That's part of your choice. That's the one thing Tyler did that you say, a lot of the injuries Tyler didn't have any control over, just that's part of life. If, Tyler Buckner, Tyler. if Tyler Buckner stays, I, there are three games he gets inserted into. In 2023? Yep. Okay. The three games I could see him getting inserted into. I think he definitely would have got inserted into the Clemson game on the road. Mm-hmm. I definitely think he had a chance of possibly getting a series or two against Louisville. Even if it's just to switch things up or to go to his package, he would have had value in certain types of games. He would have had a value on the road at Duke. If you were a smart Especially in the red coach. zone. I got one for you, Sean. If you yeah. were a smart football coach and you had Tyler Buckner on your team and you get to that first drive of the game in the red zone and it's fourth and one and you don't put Tyler Buckner in the game, and you're not a smart football coach. Not a smart football coach, yep. If you're trying to run the clock out at the end of the game and you got Tyler Buckner in the game mm-hmm. and JT crashes that edge like that, Tyler would have been a much better prepared to pull that sucker and get out, out the gate. Exactly. Right. I mean, so those type of things, even if he's just the number two with Sam, to your point, I love that point. I didn't even think about that, Sean. That's such a great point. Even if they brought in Sam and Tyler stayed, maybe things are a little bit. I don't think the Louisville game would have mattered. I don't think that 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 that's an L. Mm -hmm. But I do think the Ohio State game could have seen some interesting stuff. And I think to your point, they would have known pretty early. Sam doesn't have it today. Mm -hmm. I think Tyler would have come in after the pick six. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Off, you know what I mean? I really do. And I think that would have changed some things. Yeah, I really do. I think that would have allowed him. He would have had a couple because they were just crashing it. 
they were crashing the edge so hard every time Notre Dame went in motion, and Notre Dame couldn't do a dang thing about it. You try that against right. Tyler Buckner like South Carolina did. Mm-hmm. Peace Get out. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. And I think that would have made for some better receiver matchups like we saw in the bowl game against South Carolina because you're right. now safeties have to be now so so focused on getting downhill to stop him. There's some great opportunities for your tight ends and your receivers to get over the top. 100% yeah. agree. That's a, I didn't even think about that, Sean. That's such a great point. Even if he would have stayed and they brought in Sam, maybe that changes the game or two. And that would have been a better option. I, yeah. I just I, I think I wish the people around them would have told him, like, look, just, just stick it out. Or if you do transfer, could you imagine watching Tyler Buckner and UCLA's offense this year? Yeah. With that run game? Yeah, that would have been fun to watch. Oh, well, it is what it is. Now we get to watch them play lacrosse, which will be fun. Because I'm actually going to be watching the lacrosse team this year. I'd never – I mean, I'd watch lacrosse in college a little bit because the school I went to had a really good lacrosse team, but I disliked mm-hmm. the players on that team so much that I just didn't really enjoy it. But I never really watched lacrosse until the playoff – until the, the NCAA tournament last year. And I was like, this is a fun sport to watch, man. So I'm going to watch a little bit more lacrosse this year. It'll be good to see Tyler and, and Jordan Fazar. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I did want to address this one, Sean. It's a two-parter mm-hmm. uh, uh, specifically about Chris O'Leary. Levi this, Perez, this is, for the question. This is the, fir- the first part we addressed already, but I wanted to okay. read it anyway. This is the one I was looking for earlier, but then the second part I want to bring up because I do want to address that specifically with Chris O'Leary. Coach O'Leary going with Harbaugh to the NFL. Is it safe to say the state of the college game is pushing coaches towards the NFL? Or is the thought of coaching in the NFL something Coach O'Leary always wanted to do? So I didn't quite get into this earlier when we were addressing the overall state of the game. But from what I'm told, and this is what I was – I don't know if I said this earlier, but, Sean, you and I have known for two years now that Chris O'Leary's always had an eye towards the NFL. Yeah. Which is fine. I mean, that if that's your ultimate goal and and college is your stepping stone, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Just like if your desire is to be a Division One coach, but you got to start at the Division Three or FCS or Division Two, so be it. If that's your ultimate goal, so I think if there was no portal and there was no NIL, I think Chris O'Leary is one of those coaches that still goes pro. Yeah, I don't think that's the case for other guys. I don't think Jeff Halfley takes the Green Bay Packers job. I'm not saying he's right or wrong because every coach that uses this stuff as a as a as an excuse to to go pro, some of them have a valid reason. Others are just like you just don't want to work. You know, and you never wanted to work. So I think – and that's not what is the case with Chris O'Leary. I'm talking about the guys complaining about it. I don't think Chris yeah. O'Leary's – you're not hearing Chris O'Leary saying, well, I'm leaving because I'm getting tired of all this. I just think he always wanted to kind of prove himself on that level. And that's that's what I think. And that, you know what? More power to him. I respect that. Because you you did – you played – you – I'm trying to think of how to say this. You held up your end of the bargain at a very high level from a coaching standpoint. You helped make DJ Brown better and Kyle better and Xavier yeah. better and these guys better. You held up your end and an opportunity came for you to go chase your dream. Go for it. Cause you did it after the season, just right. like if Xavier would have made the decision to leave. And when Kyle made his decision to leave and all, 
you know what? You held up your end of the bargain. If this is the choice you want to make and this is your dream, go for it. I have no issue with it. But I do I do think in his specific example, I do think more and more coaches are going to go pro because of all the craziness of college football. Mm-hmm. Not every coach that makes that jump is doing it because of that. I don't think Chris O'Leary, and I don't know Chris O'Leary personally. This is more of what people have told me about him. This was always something that we have heard was an ultimate goal of his. And that's why I think Notre Dame has and will act quickly when it comes to the change because I think they've known, okay, when this happens, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. And, and like, I think also career protection is another reason. I'll take Hatley for instance. You, They tell you all the time, like, yo, you would much rather have I left for this job on your resume rather than I got fired or got let loose and then I had to find another job. Right. So Jeff Hatley looking at the Boston College situation where they still they knew the situation. They probably will might keep him another season. He saved his, his job this year by taking the bowl game, because if he right. didn't do that, he's fired. He's fired. And he's going to lose a lot. But now the expectation. Now the expectation is right. You got mm-hmm. the bowl game. Let's do it again. And he's like, you know, they what? Weren't. rather they than weren't. going through that. Let me just say, yo, I use this. The NFL wants me. I went and got that job because they came calling. And now if I want to set myself up for another position in college years mm-hmm. down the line, it'll probably be a better coaching position if I can go to the NFL and be successful yep. in that path. And I think a lot of Chip Kelly might have looked at that like, yo, hold on now, because if this goes wrong at the beginning of this venture into the Big Ten, uh, let mm-hmm. me go reestablish myself as the offensive coordinator at Ohio State with all this talent. And now I'm set up to go get another job or maybe back to the NFL. This is definitely, you know, some jockeying for your career and what you want to do and what your next steps are going to be mm-hmm. taking place because college can be in this, in this landscape that we talked about expectations change, man. They just do. I think the more, the easiest coach or the easiest job for a coach this year just from expectation is probably Mike Elko because the expectations are nowhere near what they were the way Texas A&M went in NIL. Like they expected a certain outcome for the simple Mm -hmm. fact that they spent a lot of money and had Jimbo. Sure. I think now Mike Elko comes in with a, Yo, is we're you, gonna build your, this thing. Is more your answer relative to what the previous coach expectations for the? Oh, absolutely. Coach? Okay, absolutely, okay. absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. Absolutely. With that. So he's coming in not ex- with the expect- expectation of oh, we expect eleven wins, twelve right. wins. No. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense, Sean. Because like what I was culture. Say was yeah. I think the expectation for Texas A&M is a whole lot higher than Washington, just for the twenty four team. Mm-hmm. But to your point, the expectations for Jed Fisher are not going to be nearly as great as the expectations for what they were under Kalen DeBoer. Same with Mike Elko. I would actually still argue Washington just because how much they were gutted. But mm-hmm. I, I I agree with your overall point. Great well, of course. But if Jimbo would have stayed, like if Mike Elko goes eight and four next year, you know what? Nice bounce back. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're building some. If Jimbo goes eight and four next year, fired. Right? Like if Kalen yeah. DeBoer – would have led Washington to a seven and five record next year. People would have been like, wow, what a big step back. 
if they go seven to five this year, they're almost like, wow, great job, Jed Fish, because you yeah. salvaged because of what you inherited. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's a great point. How you perform, it's kind of like I've used this in the NFL, Sean. Does if, anybody if, expect? I'm. I just. I'm going to give you this. all the time, dude. You can. No, no, no. I just want to insert this so it can be part of what you're about to say. Does anybody expect Mike Elko to beat Marcus Freeman? In regard to what? People expect Michael. No, no, no. My point is, people expect Notre Dame to win that game. Oh, beat Marcus Freeman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not B. I'm sorry. I said B. I was like, oh, no, no. not there. No, like Mike Elko's a he's a really good coach. We know the coach here. Point. There's way more pressure on Notre Dame to win that game. Absolutely. 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 Yes. Absolutely. Agree completely. Now, you expect it to be a tough game, regardless of who the coach is. You're going on the road, College Station. It's going to be a tough game. Yeah. Right. So the game is not about Texas A&M. It's about okay, year three. Marcus yeah. Freeman, Notre Dame. This is a litmus test to prove. That's a great point. Because if you Texas are. A&M battles Notre Dame, but Notre Dame just wins in the end, that's mm-hmm. a hey, we would have liked to have won, but great right. first game. If mm-hmm. the same thing happens and Notre Dame plays a plays their butts off, but AM yeah. wins, yeah, how the heck did you lose that game to a first year coach yeah. and this, that, and the other thing? Absolutely. Hundred percent. Right? That's a great I'll point. give you if if Notre Dame is hitting on all cylinders and they go in there and they win by double digits. People are gonna say, "Well, Elko, he's built. You're one game yeah. one. You're it's no. Like, you, it's yes. no pressure in that. Agree. No game for for Elko. It's now, like fans hey, won't cool. like it. No, but no. it'll be more understandable from an analyst standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Agree completely. Yep. Agree. Look, anytime an SEC team's losing their name, that's that's a bad look for that that <laughs> head coach from a fan standpoint. Yeah. But we're talking more realistic analysts, and yes, I and, and add agree completely. Yeah. Like the expectation for Mike Elko against their name is compete. Yeah, the expectation for Notre Dame against Texas A&M is you better win. Yeah, hundred percent, and it should be. Now, if Mike Elko was going into year three at Texas A&M, like totally let's different. say when he left for Duke, let's say what would have actually happened is Jimbo got fired or retired, Elko took over because now Elko would be going into year three at A&M. Mm-hmm. Completely different expectations. Now it's you better beat Notre Dame, and now if Notre Dame wins, it's like holy moly, what a great start to your season. Right. And if you lose, it's like, as long as it's competitive, yeah, it's not ideal, but 12-team playoff, you went on the road in the SEC, you competed your butts off, and all this excuse, that excuse, the other excuse, right? I mean, you're completely correct. Completely correct. Now, again, if we're talking that's game one for Elko, we're not saying we don't think Elko's going to do a great job. It's just like you can't expect him to be prepared to beat a team, to demand he beat a team like Notre Dame in game one when you consider all the personnel losses they've had the last two years. Absolutely correct. And the point I was going to make, Sean, was it, what you, where you, how you walk into a situation determines expectations. I've said this a million times. If Dak Prescott was a first round draft pick, a top 10 NFL draft pick, people would be a lot more critical of him than they are, in my opinion. Because, but because he's a fourth round draft pick, I think there's always in the back of people's minds this thing about, you know, the expectations for him aren't as quite as high because, um, you know, because of whatever, you know what I mean? So that's kind of where I'm at on that regard, Sean, is expectations are, are are determined by the circumstance in which you stepped into. Whether you're a first-round draft pick or a fourth-round draft pick is going to change expectations because of where you were picked. If you had to pick one, Derek Meadows or 
Taylor Taylor at wide receiver. Don't make me show my bias, man. Don't make me. Well, I'm not biased because I'm not from Illinois. So I'll give this because you and I are on the same page here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like I like Derek Meadows. He's got a lot of talent, a lot of potential, but Taylor Taylor's the pick for me. He's a much better player right now. He brings a skill set I want more of, and he's got the higher floor plus a high ceiling. It, it's Taylor Taylor for me. If Notre Dame gets Derek Meadows, I'm good with that. I, my only thing with him, my criticism of him is like people need to have realistic expectations for who he is. And 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 the fact that he's not a day one Michael Floyd come in and guy. I think Taylor Taylor has a better chance of coming in day one and playing for you. Mm-hmm. So both of them are successful. I just to me, I just I just think I think he's just a better player. Yeah. Brian, have you ever seen wide receivers rotate in and out or as many pre-snap movements than we did last year? Well, I've seen a lot of people do more pre-snap movement than Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame didn't do it as much a pre-snap lot, movement yeah. as I would have wanted. I think it seemed like it because of how much they ran guys on and off the field. I've never seen the, – the only crazier thing I've seen in that regard is remember back that year that Spurrier had like – was like Rex Grossman and Jesse Palmer. Mm. Mm-hmm. And like he would rotate them in, like play by play, like series by series. But like he just run Rex in, and then run, it was just like this is just mm-hmm. not right. I had zero problems with Notre Dame's rotation last year in regard to who played. Yeah. I had big problems with how they went about it. I'm just a believer that when you put a guy in for a series, you you let him get some plays. Yeah, you know what I mean. At least one or two of them. I mean, if you go from a if you go from eleven personnel to twelve personnel, somebody's got to come off. I'm cool with that. Yeah. But they have to go from 11 personnel to 11 personnel and change two of the receivers. That didn't make any sense to me, like right in the middle of a series. After one or two plays, you'd see them come out in an 11 personnel and snap one and then go right back to the huddle and be still being 11 personnel, and you'd have two different receivers. And it's like, what, why? <laughs> and, of course, they'd get very tendency-oriented. When Tobias was in the game, he was going to do this. Yeah. When Rico was in the game, he was going to do this, and it made him a lot easier to defend to be honest with you. And it also kept the receivers from getting into any kind of flow or any kind of rhythm. And that was a mistake, in my opinion. Are the questions, concerns about the wide receiver different this year compared to last? If so, how? I really liked this question, Sean. Um, the the very different. Last year, it was a young group. You're asking a lot of – when we said last year, at least one, if not two freshmen have to play. Right. And that always puts a burden on you. You had a lot of guys that were injury prone. You know, Jaden Thomas had struggled to stay healthy. Deion Colsey had struggled to stay healthy. Yeah. You, you know, Jaden Thomas is coming off of a of, of a year as a senior where he was kind of banged up a little bit. And, you know, Chris Tyree was moving to a new position and, and you were expecting a lot of him. Tobias Merriweather came into the year with one career catch. You know, what was his expect, expectation going to be? So your sophomore class last year was one guy who – had one catch the year before and, and, and was injured for half the year. Now your freshman class this year is a guy that caught 19 passes for 322 yards and four touchdowns. And another guy that caught 18 passes for 265 yards and five touchdowns. So even there, your sophomores are so much more proven than your sophomore class was last year. Your freshman class, to be honest with you, is just more dynamic in Cam Williams I mean, the freshmen last year had to know how to play because of the type of routes they could run at. I mean, Jaden Greathouse and, and Rico had to know how to get open. Now it's just Cam. It's like, run real fast. We'll throw the ball to you. He's just a different type of dynamic athlete, in my opinion. And and then you bring in the transfers who are more proven, productive players. I mean, you went into the season last year with Matt Salerno, your fifth or sixth receiver. If Matt Salerno is coming back next year, he's not in your top eight or nine. You know, just – and so – you're more injury proof this year 
in my opinion, Sean, where you're better prepared to overcome injuries, even if you lose three guys' injuries, you're far better prepared to handle that this year than you were last year, assuming you don't have any like post-spring departures and things like that. And, and to me, I also think that this group fits so much better together. You and I were talking about that last week, Sean, where the receiving core was a bunch of dudes that kind of played one spot or two spots in a three-receiver offense. Now you've got guys can play multiple spots because they have the ability to do so but can fit in different spots better together. I think that factors into it as well. I mean, you know, last year your most proven guy was what? Think about this. Your leading career receiver coming into last season was Chris Tyree as a running back at 50-some catches for 500-some career yards. So running back. That was your most proven pass catcher. Now, Bo Collins had more career yards in one season at Clemson than Chris had his whole career. Way more catches. Bo, Bo, I think Bo's got like 90-some career catches for like 1,200-something yards. Actually, let me look that up real quick just to make sure I'm giving you guys accurate, um, accurate data here. But looking at Bo Collins' career numbers at, at Clemson, yes, Bo Collins had 91 career catches for 1,290 yards. So I was off by one uh, and 11 touchdowns. That's about as much as your entire receiving core had for their careers last year. Think about that, Sean. Because Jaden Thomas had only the one season at Notre Dame where he caught like, what, 20-some balls. Had a good, good sophomore year for Notre Dame. I was excited about what he could do. But he only had 20-some career catches for 300-some career yards. Bo Collins only had 13 career catches. Chris Tyree was a running back with a fifth. I mean, you're talking about the production at Notre Dame from Bo Collins for your career is almost as what you saw from the entire group. And that doesn't include the 1,100 yards from Chris Mitchell, the over 600 yards that, that Jaden Greathouse and Jordan Faison combined for last year. You've got more production from Jaden Thomas. So much more production. So much more production from the group this year than last year now the questions for this year are more about how do they fit together who's going to play where who's going to start you know how quickly can they get on the same pace with the quarterback all those type of things and that's similar to last year but in a different way i think there's far fewer depth questions youth questions and proven production questions this receiving core has over five thousand career college yards coming back this season that's pretty good that's pretty good uh, mm, yes, because they had over 3,000 just last year. I'm pretty sure. I'm, it's, it's definitely over 4,000, but I think it's over 5,000. Next question would be from Iden Banami. Can a GA really run, be in charge of a position group, and actually coach them properly? Yes. Uh, I will just say this. Number one, I was a graduate assistant in 2003 because that's the nature of the job. And I coached uh, two All-Americans. We won a national championship. Two of my players spent time and you know, got, got tryouts in the NFL. And we set some program records that year throwing the football. So, yes, I am coached against Phil Longo that year, coached against the guy, what's his, Jay Bateman that year, and beat both of them. And so, yeah, absolutely, you can. If you – I've said it a million times, you got the chops, you got the chops. And some GAs – don't have it, just like some full-time position coaches don't have it. Some GAs have it, and the key is finding a guy that can be that. Max Bullitt was a GA last year, did a great job coaching the linebackers. Chris O'Leary in 2020 was a GA at Notre Dame, did a great job coaching the Rovers, which is why he got the full-time job at Notre Dame. So, yes, in theory, they can. It's like with anything. 
Just because you're a full-time coach doesn't mean you're a good coach. There's guys get hired to be head coaches that are not good coaches. That's why they fail. So they can, and the key is finding that guy. It doesn't mean that all GAs can. Lucky Ducks, 5-1-2. What is Elijah Burst if he reaches his ceiling? First-round pick, All-American, solid rotation player, key starter, and middle-round pick. And what do you think would be the most likely outcome? I have no clue what the most likely outcome is going to be because those things are factored into how much he's going to work and a million other a million other things that that factor into it. What I'll say is this. If, if he reaches his full potential, I see a guy that has a chance to be a day two draft pick. In my opinion, I have him as a top 50 caliber recruit, which means that's in one class. If he reaches his full potential, I get to give him a four and a half star upside grade. So I do think he can reach that level. The question is going to be, can he? That's a different conversation for a different day. And I have no, I have no say on whether that'll happen. So I won't tell you what it will, but I think he's going to be six one and a half, six two. He's going to be one ninety plus when it's all said and done. I think his speed is going to be in the low five four five, if not high four four range when it's all said and done. At the very least, I think he's going to be an outstanding route runner. I think his ball skills are really good. I think he still is a work in progress in a lot of ways physically. And if his strength, the the, the thing to me, there's two things that are going to determine whether Elijah Burris can become. The, the player he's capable of to the full degree. Number one, can he improve his strength to the point where he can be an every down receiver? And then number two, just getting comfortable with the from an experienced production standpoint. That's really it. But the physical tools, I like a lot, especially if he fills out. That's going to be a, a big one. It's going to be a big one for me. Good, good, very good question there. Let's see here. Rob Osgood, great comments about Coach O leaving for the NFL. I do hope Mickens takes over the whole back end. Linebackers get max, and AG can focus on the D as a whole. Your thoughts? Yeah, we talked about this a little bit, Rob, earlier. I do think that that is the best. That is the most likely option. It's the best option, barring there being some elite safeties coach that wants to join the team. But then you have to run the risk of losing Max Bulla. And I and I don't I don't know that they want Al Golden being a full time position coach. I just think there's advantages to it. I'll say this. Can I just say this? One thing that one rule change that needs to happen. They need to me to add uh, another. They should have eleven full time assistants at the Power Five level. Five on offense, five on defense, and a special teams coach. That that's to me how it should be. And then what that allow would allow you to do on defense is still have four position coaches, corners, safeties, linebackers, D line and have your D coordinator be more of a rover. Just like on, you know, on offense, it's a little harder because you have more distinct positions. But it used to be where one coach could coach the whole secondary. But the way that the game has changed, safety and corners need really kind of need a little bit more individual attention, in my opinion, in certain systems. And I think Notre Dame's is one of those to a degree. But like I said, there's other things they can do to kind of overcome that. All right, we had that question we've already answered. Uh, Real Estate 2024, Brian, how awesome was it having to watch Elway hand the Chiefs soup Lombardi last night? Looked like he hated every second of it. I would imagine so. I mean, <laughs> I would imagine so. I, I think Pat Mahomes remind, does remind me a lot of John Elway. So I, I, I think great quarterbacks respect other great quarterbacks. But, yeah, I think it was probably a little rough handing that that uh, that Chiefs thing. I, I think Elway can kind of um, – he can kind of uh, feel good about the fact that, yes, he had to hand a trophy to him last night, but uh, the Chiefs were were not able to win Super Bowls when John Elway was still part of uh, running the everyday thing for the most part. I think they they did like, what, one Super Bowl win 
when Elway was really running the team on the day-to-day, that would be, what, 2019? But, I mean, Elway's first title in 1997, they beat the Chiefs. Elvis Gerback-led Chiefs on the road that year and, and to get to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, that was a that was a big one. Joe Allen asks, what are the chances that Notre Dame lands Matty Augustine and Jack Lang? How huge would it be? Very slim. I, I think Notre Dame is going to land one of those and shut it down. That's kind of what I'm hearing. So I do not see them. Uh, I do not see them being a team uh, going to four right now. That could change down the road. But right now the plan is for three. I think their focus is going to be right now on other positions. That's where their focus is as of right now. Michael S., thank you for Super Chat. I, I, we already answered this earlier, Michael, but I did want to recognize your Super Chat, which I appreciate very much. Michael asks, what do you think of the new coaching setup with O'Leary departure, Mickens overstretched? I, I said that I don't think he's going to be overstretched. It's not just going to be him by himself doing all that. They'll have a structure where I think it'll, it'll make sense. Kevin Devon with a Super Chat. Thank you, Kevin. How hard is it to QB uh, with a line all 6'6 six, six to 6'8? Six, I, I don't think it's that hard. I mean, if you're 6'2", six, 6'3", six, I mean, you think about the Notre Dame quarterbacks, you got Kenny Minchie's about 6'2", C.J. Carr's about 6'3", Deuce Knight's 6'5". I mean, I had an offensive line my my junior year of high school where it was my, my tackles were both 6'5". I was 6' foot, so that's no different for me than a 6'3 guy having a 6'8 uh, offensive tackle. You, you don't, you're not looking through them very often. You're looking through passing lanes. That's the key is is doing that. You, you, you – um, you, it's just not what people. I think there's this thought that you have to throw over six foot eight guys all day. You don't do that, and especially I'm throwing downfield, so I don't necessarily need that same lane, in my opinion. So I don't think it's as big of an issue. Favorite commercial from the game last night from T Guns. We were talking about this before the show, Sean, and you said you didn't watch a, a ton of the commercials, but then we started talking about them and you remembered a couple of them. But I had to go back and think about it. But a couple that I really liked, I thought the the State Farm was with Arnold Schwarzenegger, where he kept saying neighbor. Mm-hmm. Like, Arnold, uh, it's actually neighbor. And he goes, exactly. That's what I just said, neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> just like it's written in the script. I thought those were really funny. Uh, and 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 uh, I thought the T-Mobile ones with Jason Momoa, mm-hmm. like I lost it. Like it was funny. But when he grabbed the chicken wing and started singing into the chicken wing like it was a mic, I lost. <laughs> what is going on here? It was way better than the last Jason Momoa Super Bowl commercial. You remember that one where he takes off the muscles and stuff? I'm like, that was lame. Oh, yeah. This one was hilarious, you know, because he goes from like typical Jason Momoa character, like, you know, that gruff, I don't care. I give zero Fs about the world. Yeah. All of a sudden they do that one thing and he like snaps back and you're like, uh oh. And then he starts singing. It's just like, I was like, okay, this is really good. And when he grabbed that chicken wing and started singing the chicken wing, I was just, I lost it, dude. I thought that one was great. Um, I thought the Beyonce one was pretty funny. That was pretty decent. Uh, the the Budweiser one with the dog and the horses, that, that you know, that was sentimentally really good. Mm-hmm. Those were some of the ones just off the top of my head that I, that I liked last night. There was a couple others. Like, I thought the Sarah Vay commercial was kind of funny. Yeah, you know, my wife didn't get it because she didn't know who Michael Sarah was. I'd explain it to her, and it's, it's not funny when you have to explain it. But I, I thought it was funny. Uh, the homes.com, the homes.com had like five different five different versions. There was yeah. a couple of them that were pretty funny, like the one where the chick kept having to go to the barber shop and the salons and get yeah. like new things done. That was pretty funny. The football yeah. one was kind of stupid. Some of the others were kind of dumb. 
but like the one where they popped the big stupid champagne, like that, that was just stupid. Yeah. But the one where she kept having to go to get all these different hairstyles and stuff, that was hilarious. I thought that was really funny. Yeah. Um, but overall, I mean, it was, I actually thought this was one of the better years in recent years for just a lot of good ones for me. There was a couple of, a couple that I disliked that I don't really care to get into because I don't care like having a, a religious conversation today or political conversations today. Uh, but uh, overall, I thought there was some good stuff in the commercials last night. It, hey, the uh, I did enjoy. It was funny. I enjoyed it for uh, my fat boy purposes. The the uh, Reese's commercial. Reese's. Oh, that one was great. You talk about the thumbs up, thumbs down one. Then they lose it. They're like jumping out the windows. Like no. <laughs> that was awesome. That was yeah. really good. Yeah. We're changing the Reese's cup. No, start setting <laughs> stuff up. We're gonna put caramel on top. Ooh, good idea. You know, we're only sell a few of them. Oh no, million of them. <laughs> well, that one was really good. That's a that's a good. One. I forgot all about that one, Sean. See, you did watch more commercials than you thought you did last night. That was a good one. Certain yeah. ones just certain ones just jumped out at me. Because, dude, the house was full of guests. So I'm talking like when yeah. they throw the commercial, and I'm yeah. not really paying attention, but certain ones would catch my eye. I remember the Reese's one. Definitely. There were that though there were some that we saw last night. The T-Bo, the T-Mobile one and then the State Farm one might be those for me because I already forgot about the Reese's one. But there are just some commercials. You watch Super Bowl that just remember I still remember the one. I can't remember what beer it was, but it was a Cedric the Entertainer one. It was like kind of like a don't drink and drive one. He's yeah. got the keys. He starts jingling the keys. So like, hey, you know, I'm driving. And so everybody's like, ooh, hey. So everybody like gets out there. They think it's like some new dance move. <laughs> you remember mm -hmm. that one? So everybody's like going like this when they're shaking their keys. And he's like, no. I'm like, that one. This is that one was stuck with me. Like the frogs. You know what I mean? Remember the, the was it uh, the Budweiser frogs? Who mm -hmm. forgets that one? You know, there's just some that are, that are funny. Even though they got lame after a few years, there's some that just kind of stick with you. You know, and, and, um, and it doesn't matter how many different ways they do the Clydesdale commercials. They all just hit. Like, I mean, every year almost, they just, they all hit. But I still remember the what year they the, played football, uh, the game of football with the Clydesdales. You remember that? That was a classic. That was great. It was great. And then, of course, the what's up, the what's up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They ran yes. that for like three years, three yes. straight Super Bowls. Yes. That was, was fantastic. And it was good. It was good. And what was the office linebacker that was hitting everybody? Oh, Terry Tate. Terry Tate. <laughs> That was a great one yeah. back in the day. The, the, the one last night of the rings, the guys that didn't win rings was funny. Yeah. Um, oh, the, oh, the other one that I thought was hilarious was the Ben Affleck one. And I did not think I was going to like that because I'm not a very big, I'm not a big fan of J-Lo. Mm -hmm. I don't dislike him, but I just, you know, I'm like Ben Affleck's good when Matt Damon's in a movie with him. You know what I mean? Like I just did. That was hilarious. The the whole, uh, the Dunkin' Donut commercial with Matt Damon and J-Lo and Matt Damon and Tom Brady. Because Matt Damon's like, he's like, dude, I don't want to be here. Like, it just was so funny. And then J-Lo's like, we talked about this. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, hey, Tom, you can stay. That was <laughs> that funny. That was funny. Like, you can stay, Tom. I'm like, really? <laughs> and then Matt Damon says, you know, I told you I would do anything for you. This was that anything. <laughs> he goes, oh, so shut maybe, up. You're going to make a movie about it. <laughs> maybe you can help me out. Because I yeah. caught this. I was like, what is that? It was a commercial that like was like an alien invasion or something. Yes, and nobody could be bothered by it. They were all looking at their phones. Yes. Well, who was so that for? To, it was for a website built. They had to build a website 
to then show up on people's phones before they would recognize there's a bunch of aliens above them. So like everybody's looking at their phones. That's no one's paying awful. attention. And these aliens are trying to get everybody's attention and then no one's paying attention. So then they would, would put with Squarespace. They had to build a website that then they then so project onto everybody's phones. It was Squarespace. Okay. Okay. Then they had to project that onto everybody's phones, which I thought was kind of funny because I'm always complaining about that. Like, right. like you're, and so then when it showed up on everybody's phones, then they look up and they're like, oh, aliens. You know what I mean? It was like, it's kind of funny. Got these things hovering over your head and you yes. just have no clue. No, that is real life, though. It really real is. life walking down the street. But it's absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So I thought, I thought that was well played, how they did that. They had mm -hmm. to launch a website to then send to everybody's phones before people would recognize, recognize what's going on yeah. yeah it's pretty well done pretty well done which hip-hop album would have would have caused twitter to crash if twitter exists when the album was released get richard die trying dolly style the eminem show still maddox straight out of compton well it wouldn't have been straight out of compton because that was that was that was not nwa to me sean was not a a national enough brand Mm -hmm. Have caused that, in my opinion. Um, I don't think I, mean, any I don't know of these, that any I of those would. Yeah, no. I just, I mean, and honestly, it, it would have been an album that, like, probably we maybe we don't look back as a great one, just because it would have been like it would have had to have been somebody's like third or fourth album, this long debut. We've been waiting years for it, that kind of thing. You know, I James think Daisy's the... later albums maybe would have. So just because no, of because he was the, so he was he was one of the few ones that could kind of he was more of a crossover artist later in his career than he was like early. I've said this before. I still think his best album was Reasonable Doubt. Mm -hmm. He wasn't a name then. It just was yeah. like you know he became a name. Yeah, like you know maybe like Blueprint down the road. I don't know. I think I think it would have been a moment. Now let's say the moment because it was huge without Twitter. And that would have been the battle between, because I think it was Kanye's third album versus 50 Cent's second album. They actually went back and forth and they released on the same day and it was huge. And everybody was like, who's going to outsell who? It was like a moment. Right. It was a huge moment. Yeah. So if that had Twitter at that time, that big. moment with those two big, those big mega stars definitely would have been. Yeah. I've never really been able to get into Kanye's music. He's got a couple songs I like, but just overall, I just, it's just not, not really my style. Mm. Like a lot of the stuff that I mean, like Wu-Tang's, any of Wu-Tang's albums, like the only one that would have had a shot would have been their, their last one. Cause everybody knew it was their last album. And they had kind of, they had gotten so much, they were, they'd crossed over. You know, outside of just rap and became more well-liked by other groups mm -hmm. than just diehard rappers. I don't know that Nas ever had that much crossover where it would have been that way. Like, if there was like a, a, a Twitter just for true rap fans, maybe. Mm -hmm. But he never had that same crossover appeal that that Tupac or Biggie or... Uh, and honestly, Tupac really was one of those guys who who I think got bigger after he died. His first album out of prison might have. Which one was that? Um, was that ambitions? All, all eyes on me. No, all, all eyes, eyes on me. On me. Okay. Just the that build was, up. That was, that was a Tim partner. Yeah, right? 
Just was it ambitious to, as a writer was one of the songs. Was on, one of the songs on there. Yeah. yeah. Him going to death yeah. row, Dr. Dre, the yeah. whole thing. And he, he clapped at Biggie a little bit. In yeah. That one too, which yeah. would have created like that, that what, here's what I think would have happened if Twitter was a thing back then, you would have seen more of, you would have seen more, I think solo songs that this guy said this about me let's go into the lab put this together and we're going to release this and go back at you because we have all these different ways of getting content yeah. out yeah that would have maybe broke it more so yeah. than like albums and stuff like yeah. that Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.